right. Hey, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Hey, I just want to say uh, thanks for being here today. Whether you're tuning in online or in person, like you could be a lot of places doing a lot of different things. Uh, and you guys made the choice to worship God with your church family today. And that is not a small thing. So uh, honestly, love you guys. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, it is really, really a cool thing. Um, I did some research this week. And by research, I mean I read a BuzzFeed article. <laughs> okay, if you don't know what BuzzFeed is, it is not research, okay, I promise you that. Uh, but about four months ago, there was an article that came out entitled 50 Things That Are Pretty Much Universally Hated by All People. And it wasn't wrong, and so I wanna, I wanna do something fun this morning uh, and just play a little game, get to know each other a little better here. I'm gonna read a few of these things. I'm not gonna read all of them, but I'm gonna read a few of these things. And if you hate this thing, like go ahead and just throw one hand up. Uh, if you really hate this thing, you can throw two hands up, okay? Uh, and if you actually are a psychopath and like these things, just sit back and we will all judge you. So uh, <laughs> we're gonna go through a few of these together. So uh, first one here is biting your cheek while eating. Who hates that, right? Like it ruins the next four days of food for you, right? It's the worst thing ever. Um, how about this? When you're walking along and you get your belt loops like on the door handle and you're like, right? You throw out your back, right? Does that happen to anybody else? Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> um, how about this? Uh, trying to click the tiny little X on the ad, but then accidentally clicking on the ad and going to the website, sneaky little buggers, right? Like they know what they're doing. I don't think those X's really work. Uh, getting asked to get up for something the moment that you sat down, right? Like there's a lot of husbands that are like, mm -mm. like it's okay, I feel you. I know, I know, it's all good. There's always the one person in the relationship that is there. Um, how about this, looking at a recipe website and getting the person's life story before you actually get to the recipe. Come on, Donna, I just wanna air fry some chicken nuggets. I don't need to know that this came from the old country. Like, let's get on with it here, right? Uh, in general, just like mosquitoes. Mosquitoes, right? The buzzing, they're in your ear, they like in your eye. Anybody have a mosquito in your eye before? Like, they, oh, it's the worst, I hate mosquitoes. Um, that moment when something is stuck in your teeth and you can, you can feel it with your tongue, but you can't find it with your finger or the toothpick, right? Like, you know it's there, but it is not coming out. Ah. Being told, we need to talk later. Come on, man, why are you giving me that anxiety? Like, I got hours of waiting to figure out what in the world is going through your mind. Or the almost sneeze. Like, you've got to sneeze, and it's like, and then it's like stuck in your head, like that congestion. Is that happening? No, just me? Okay, cool, thanks, guys. Appreciate that one. That's good. How about slow internet speed, all right? Working remote, like you feel that in your soul after a while. Uh, or finally, that moment you stub your toe or shin, and now your kids have learned new words, right? Like you, everybody feels that one? All right. Hey, uh, this morning, we are going to spend some time looking at the things that God hates God hates. Most of the time at church, we talk about love and how, how God loves you, and as a result, like we should love and care for one another, and all of that, all of that is absolutely, absolutely, absolutely true, but we also serve a God that hates, and the cool part is that in God's sovereignty and in his holiness, his hate is absolutely perfect, and it is absolutely right, and that, in fact, by learning to hate the things that God hates, we can actually learn to love better. 
And so uh, in this series here, uh, we've been focusing on wisdom. Wisdom has been our focus, and so that we will learn to live well and to think right. Live well and to think right. And so we are, are wrapping up our entire series on the book of Proverbs here this morning. And hopefully over these past couple of months, you have really uh, dove headfirst into the book of Proverbs and, and you've gleaned and learned some great wisdom and, and you can apply it to your life in some tangible ways. Uh, and I would encourage you, even though we are wrapping up today, uh, continue to make Proverbs like a part of your regular study. There's just so many good things. And every time you come back to it, you're gonna get something new, something incredible. So like continue to dive in to Proverbs. But today we're gonna jump into a few verses that are all about what God hates. So if you got your North Point app, as Rick was talking before, go ahead and pop that open. You can follow along here. Uh, we're gonna start midway through chapter six. And we're gonna notice very early on that Solomon is describing a person. And nobody would like this guy. Nobody likes this guy. Like you don't want your daughter to marry him, you don't want a cubicle beside him, you wouldn't make him your financial advisor, and if you ran into him, you would only talk about the weather, all right? Like, nobody likes this guy. Here in Proverbs chapter six, verse 12, it says, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil continually, sowing discord. And Proverbs tells us about a worthless, wicked person. Worthless meaning that he doesn't value righteousness. He doesn't value the things that God values. It's not saying that our value as human beings is rooted in our actions. Like we all have value as image bearers of God. But Solomon is pointing out here in this type of, of wisdom writing here that this is a person who just lives in opposition to the things that God loves, the things that God cares about. This person is deceptive when it says they go and wink and signal and point. Like all of that is, is alluding to the idea that they just love to cause conflict. They love to exploit situations however they can just to make a personal Gain. They sow discord because they're trying to plant distrust and, and suspicion amongst anybody and everybody they can. Their goal is to mess every single thing up so that they can manipulate situations for their own gain. Like at work, we call this office politics. In friendships, it, it's gossip or backbiting. In, in, in politics, it's called mudslinging. In our family, it's Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, for these people, man, it is all about them, that creating pain, narratives, stories, secrets, all of that is to help bring other people down to a place where they can just step on top of them. And we're about to find out that this kind of selfish, manipulative, pain-inducing lifestyle is exactly what God hates. And when we hate the things that God hates, and it teaches us to learn to love Better, And so we're going to find out here, we're going to spend some time, uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. It says this, it says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among Brothers, six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. That's a really weird way of saying that, right? <laughs> like, did Solomon all of a sudden get bad at math? Like, oh, I got six kids. Oh, no, wait, seven, seven children, right? And here, <laughs> now, what is Solomon is using this as a writing technique because he really wants us to pay attention to number seven. 
that last thing on here. He's trying to draw attention to it there. And this isn't some uh, exhaustive list. These aren't the only things that God doesn't like or the only things that are, that are wrong in the world. Like there are a ton of times in the Bible uh, where it tells us that God was angry or he was grieved at something that mankind had done. This list is simply uh, a representative of things that affect us all or things that we can easily slip into with special attention given all number seven here. It starts out, and we're gonna, we're gonna go through these uh, one by one. It starts out with, with haughty eyes. What is a haughty eye? Now, fellas, don't get this wrong. This is not a compliment, okay? So, like, if you get in trouble with your wife, buy flowers. Like, don't, don't try and tell her she's got haughty eyes. It's not gonna work out for you, all right? Haughty eyes means prideful. Simply means prideful. And not, not like a healthy kind of pride, like that healthy sense of accomplishment for your work or, or when your kid is practiced and rehearsed again and again and again and, and you finally watch them at their play or their recital and you're, you're proud for them. No, this is actually an unhealthy kind of pride. This is the kind where you view yourself better than you are, where you decide that, hey, I just don't need others because everybody else is either too uh, stupid or, or lazy or uncreative or boring or slow or, or whatever it is that you think you are not, and you look down on everybody else with your haughty eyes. See, there's a story told uh, that in Muhammad Ali's heyday, as the heavyweight champion in boxing, he was actually taking a plane across country on a 747, and as they're, they're taxiing down the runway, a stewardess comes up to him, and she says, uh, sir, you need to buckle your seatbelt. And Ali, uh, in his pride, responds, Superman don't need no seatbelt. The stewardess very patiently looked down and said, Superman don't need no plane, <laughs> right? <laughs> Here's the thing, man. Pride, pride alienates us from other people. And the result is that when we realize, and we're just not all that great, but we're littered with, with flaws and, and bad decisions, and then we recognize because of pride, we don't have anybody to help us in those moments, and God hates pride even though he's better than us he still came down for us to love us and guide us and help us. Man, Solomon goes on and he says uh, that God hates a lying tongue, a lying tongue. And we know from John chapter eight and verse 44 that Satan is considered the father of lies. But yet lying is still kind of perceived as like a small sin in our world, right? We call them little white lies, right? <laughs> little itty bitty tiny things. Like they aren't a big deal or all that bad, but once you've been in a place where you've been lied to, and you know it's worse than, than biting your cheek or slow internet speeds, that it can be painful. See, lying is a relationship killer. It removes the trust foundation from a relationship, and it can be so hard and time-consuming to try and fix. Why is that? It's because lies breed lies. And I was given the advice one time that said, hey, uh, the best thing that you can do is tell the truth because there is just so much less that you're gonna have to remember. <laughs> like just tell the truth front and center here because lies grow and grow and grow until they become way too heavy to carry around and then we just begin to collapse under the weight of all of the lies that we've been able to tell. I mentioned that the Bible calls Satan the father of lies, and that's true. Nothing true, nothing good comes from Satan, but he is way too smart, and he is way too crafty to just try and convince us of the opposite of truth. Satan doesn't try to convince you that you should go down 
instead of going up. Instead, he tries to convince you that you just need to go slightly off to the side. The goal is not to drive you to the opposite, but rather to the adjacent of what is true. It's not changing numbers on an invoice. It's fudging numbers, right? It's not an unhealthy relationship with a coworker. It's a, it's a work relationship that you're in. God hates lying because whether you go the opposite or just simply adjacent to the side, everything that you do, when you begin to follow that path and those that are following behind you, you eventually are so far off course that you're just headed for pain and destruction. Man, so instead of falling in a pattern of lies, recognize that when we hate the things that God hates, we begin to learn to love better. This verse also tells us that God hates hands that shed innocent blood. This is a pretty easy one to get behind, right? Like the words innocent and blood make it fairly obvious that God would hate something like this and that, that as a result, man, we, we probably should too. Like it's easy to hate Hitler for the Holocaust or Ted Bundy for murdering countless women or terrorists for blowing up buildings. That's, that's a very easy evil to hate. But on the flip side, how aware are we of laws that don't protect the innocent or the vulnerable or people who can't defend themselves? See, God calls us as a church and his followers to stand against injustice and in the way of those who would attack the vulnerable. And it matters greatly to God that governments and businesses abuse people through uh, labor or debt. That human rights issues are not just ratings for a news story or something to feel bad about because it's happening over, over there. And things like, like human trafficking and slavery still are very real problems in our world today. And it's not just over there. These are things that we struggle with around us as well. Jesus tells us the analogy uh, of when he comes back one day to rule all nations and he separates those that know him from those that, that don't know him. And he says this to those that know him. Matthew 25, it says, then the king will say to those on his right, meaning his followers, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the followers asked Jesus, like, when in the world did we do any of that stuff? I don't remember doing any of that, Jesus. When did that happen? And Jesus responds in verse 40. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And God hates those that shed innocent blood. And Jesus calls us to actively care for those that are vulnerable and those that are in need. The way that we care for the abused or the neglected or the hurt shows the care that we have for God, if you've been paying any attention to the news or social media or whatever, you know there is a crisis and innocent blood being shed over in the Ukraine right now. And it's not fair, it's not right, and God hates every single moment of that, if we're being honest. And I'm so thankful that the Burkettes are out of the Ukraine and in Poland and safe, and so many others are. But it's important to recognize the church is still going on all over there. I was reading articles today about people who are, who are saying, look, like, we're nationals, we can stay, and I'm going to stay because God needs to be in this harm in, in this place right now, and he's called me to stand here. And so today, for just a second here, guys, I just want to pray. I just want to pray for that crisis, that situation, that pain, uh, and specifically those that are over there as Christ followers in the midst of this right now. So if you won't mind, let's just pray together. Father God, you hate the shedding of innocent blood, and, and it is so obvious right now, God, that that is going on 
in the Ukraine. And so, God, we, we would ask, Father, for it to stop. We know that, that there's nothing beyond your scope or power or knowledge and that you knew this was coming. You knew what was going on, God. Uh, and you allowed it to happen so that you could do something incredible. And you're behind it, Father. So we just ask, God, for those that are, that are struggling, those that are losing loved ones, those that are and just in the midst of destruction, for your spirit to be there, to protect God. God, that, that as rulers all over the world are watching this, Father, that they would show the love and the care and the leadership, Father, that your spirit would be on them, that they would apply the appropriate amounts of pressure in the appropriate amount of ways, God, to minimize the shedding of innocent blood. And God, specifically for your church and your children that are in the Ukraine, God, we pray that you would protect, that you would embolden, and that you would use them, Father, that in the midst of all of this, this evil and heinousness and this pain, God, that you would find glory and others would be just drawn closer to you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, Proverbs also tells us that God hates a heart that devises wicked plans, wicked plans. One of my all-time favorite movies, because I'm, a, I'm an adult, is a, a Batman movie uh, called The Dark Knight. Anybody see this came out? Yeah, there you go, right? Uh, huge Batman fan, so I don't know. Uh, this is now officially my challenge to Rick. I want to see prom photos. If I'm willing to put this on screen, uh, we need to see your blue suit and afro, okay? So I want to see that popping up here. Um, uh, in this movie, uh, Batman is going against the Joker. He's played by Heath Ledger, if you guys remember any of this. Uh, there's a famous scene where the Joker is accused of being a mastermind throughout this whole series of making every single thing go wrong. And he says this line, it's an incredible line. Uh, he says this, he says, you know, they're schemers. Schemers trying to control their little worlds. I'm not a schemer. I try to show the schemers how pathetic their attempts to control things really are. It's just a phenomenal line, and uh, it's a lie. He's totally lying, because in the movie, everything that happens from the very first scene all the way into the end, he has orchestrated destruction. He has orchestrated wicked plans throughout, and the movie tells us the whole reason that he does it is because some men just want to watch the world burn. Just want to watch the world burn. We've got to get that picture off. I'm like getting nervous up here still looking at that thing. Whew, thank you. All right. The whole reason is just want to watch the world burn. Here's the thing. A heart that devises wicked plans is a heart that just wants to watch the world burn. There are people who just love chaos and stirring the pot. And their absolute favorite thing to do is to comment on your Facebook posts, right? Like you feel these people. You know these people at these moments. Uh, Jesus spoke just the opposite for those of us here in Matthew chapter 6, where it says uh, about the things that we should value in life. Matthew chapter 6 says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And for those that, that love money or power or, or climbing the ladder or fame or adoration, they'll devise whatever it needs to be to get to it. The end goal is their desire, and everybody and everything is expendable to get those kinds of things. These are the villains in like basically every movie you've ever watched, and at times, these are the villains in your life as well. But on the flip side of that is how Paul spoke of a life that's actually moving towards Jesus in Philippians 3. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Man, this is the opposite of a heart that devises evil plans. This is a heart that sets aside everything that this world has to offer for the things that Jesus has to offer. This is a heart that doesn't step on top of others, but rather it, it kneels down and it comes beside to gently care for. This is a heart that doesn't scheme or manipulate, but it speaks with truth and with clarity. And God hates a heart that devises evil plans because its core desire is something besides loving God and loving others. And when we hate the things that God hates, and then we begin to learn how to love better. This verse tells us again that God hates feet that make haste to run to evil. See, as followers of Jesus, you and I are given the capacity from the Holy Spirit to resist sin and evil in this world. I think it's one of the most encouraging things to recognize. 1 Corinthians 10 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And it is an incredible, incredible thing to recognize that with God, no pressure is too strong. No habit is too binding. No temptation is too gripping. But yet God always creates an escape. Best advice I give to people who, who are struggling with, with a habit or, or a temptation uh, is to make sure that they're surrounded by people who are gonna guard them, who, who are gonna encourage them, who are gonna come stand beside them. And that when those moments come where life just smacks you in the face and, and it just feels overwhelming, uh, just stop and pray. Just invite God into those moments. See, left on our own, it can be incredibly easy to run to temptation and evil but when we're standing with others and when we're standing with God on our side and we bring him into our struggles, man, then we're on a team and we can be lifted up in those moments when we need it. So know this, if there is something in your life, whether it's a secret internal struggle that you may be going through or, or a pattern of destructive choices or just a season where you feel trapped inside, there is an escape. Don't go it alone. Don't give up. Grab your people and bring God into your fight with you. We also recognize here that God hates a false witness who breathes out lies. And we already talked about lies, um, and lies are still a component of this, but this is also just a little bit more here. Uh, this is more specifically about how we talk about others. See, pretty much uh, every country uh, that has a justice system in the world has really strict laws against perjury. Um, that the entire court system is in fact founded upon people testifying what they know or believe to be true. And so knowingly misleading or wrongfully giving false information uh, can lead to an injustice or to a wrongful conviction, which is why uh, perjury is actually considered a felony with five years of imprisonment in our country. It's a really big deal. And as Christ followers, we recognize that what we say matters. That when Jesus left this world and ascended to be with God the Father, he had commissioned all of us to tell the entire world about him, that we are his representatives, and we are charged with telling the truth of the gospel 
and being ambassadors for what that looks like lived out in our everyday lives. And people who wrongly utter lies about others, man, they just destroy the credibility that we have to talk about God. See, I have a, uh, my brother, his name is Denny. He is a, uh, a Disney junkie, if I'm just being honest with you guys. Uh, he loves Disney World. Like all, all the books, all the behind the scenes tours, trivia, timeshares, and history of Disney are like stored way deep into his mind. And he could tell you practically everything there is to know. Uh, so naturally this past year when we went on our family vacation to Disney World, uh, I called him up and I asked him, I said, hey man, how do I make this the best trip ever for my girls? Like, what is my toddler gonna love? What do I need to experience? And how can I save just any money whatsoever, right? Uh, and he was absolutely the right guy to talk to. And he said, look, here's what you gotta do. Uh, you, you wanna go to Chef Mickey and your daughter's gonna see all the characters. You gotta go ride the Star Wars rides because they're unlike anything you've been on and uh, just give up all hope. They're gonna take your money. Uh, and he was right. Like every step of the way, he was absolutely right. So we did Chef Mickey and, and Adeline was hung the moon to see Donald and Daisy and all of those characters. Uh, the Star Wars ride absolutely blew my mind. And um, please, please, please help me. I'm in debt from Disney. So uh, all of those things are true. Here's the thing. What we endorse, what we discuss, what we say about others is a reflection of who we are in Jesus. That means how you discuss coworkers and politics and sports teams and friends and family play into how the world trusts your endorsement. So make sure that what you endorse lines up with what Jesus would endorse. And where it doesn't line up, just say that. You can like parts of something without endorsing the whole. Like there's a lot of, of lifestyle choices of, of musicians or actors or athletes that I enjoy their work, but I, I don't agree with everything that they do but I'm not gonna throw the baby out with the bathwater. I like some of the stuff, but not all of it. And so my encouragement is to defend what is true and simply acknowledge what is false. Let your endorsement and speech be honest so that when you talk about Jesus, people know you are telling the truth. And our last thing this morning uh, is that God hates one who sows discord among brothers. We mentioned at the beginning that God uh, hates six things and seven are an abomination to him. The idea highlighting that number seven here is a, is a big deal. The previous six are all ways that we can sow discord among brothers. And sowing discord simply means causing trouble or issues in the family of God. We read before this passage about a wicked and worthless person Right, somebody whose goal is to, to wink and to signal and to point, meaning their goal is to manipulate and, and cause trouble. It's wicked and it's worthless. There's no benefit to trying to cause trouble. Now, fighting justice or pushing back against the social norm or, or standing against oppression is not causing trouble. It's, it's fighting trouble. But this is somebody who is looking to create division where godly unity already stands. In fact, Romans 12 Paul talks about what true markers of being a follower of Jesus looks like, and he gives this example of, of, there's a ton of them, but this is one that he specifically points out in verse 18. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. Sowing discord in the family of God, uh, man, it creates mission drift. It creates division and destruction. And look, when I was younger, I was a part of a church where people came along to sow discord. I sat in church services that were not about worshiping God, that were not about helping people move closer to Jesus, but it was church politics after church politics. And it got so ugly in the middle of services, they were turning off lights. They were pulling the plug 
on things that were happening there. People were being turned away at the door. Threatening phone calls and messages were being sent every single night. And as hard as that was, as much of a struggle as that was, I still watched God take something broken and make it beautiful because three churches were birthed out of that destruction and out of that madness. It takes time and lots of healing, but God does not lose control of his church. But my encouragement is this. Don't be the person who is always looking for the drama. Seek to live peaceably where you can and however you can. So here's the thing. When we are faced with things that we hate, we have one of two options. We can choose to just ignore it or we can choose to change it. I have ad blockers on my phone and my computer because I hate those stupid pop-up ads. Uh, I did research and I bought a thermocell device so I can repel mosquitoes in the summer. And I pay extra to make sure that we have the best internet speeds available in our home. The beautiful thing is that God changes the things that he hates too. God changes what he hates too. And the fact, the closer that we move to Jesus, it changes us. The closer we move to Jesus, it changes us. We don't change to meet Jesus, but when we meet him, it changes us. We become less like the things that God hates and that lead to pain and pride and and destruction. Uh, And God hates the things, all these things that separate us from him. He views them as an abomination to him. But you know what? He loves you so much that he pursues you died for you and will change you. It's easy to ignore all of these things, white lies, office gossip, pride that judges, a blind eye to the pain that's happening over there. Change can take work and it can take time and you're gonna need good people around you and you're gonna need to stay connected to God so that you can begin to feel the way that he feels and see the world the way that he sees it. And eventually what you'll recognize is that when we hate the things that God hates, we begin to learn to love better. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you that you hate, that you hate the right things. So Jesus, we just simply ask as as we know you more, as we serve you more, as you reveal more of yourself to us, that you would put a deep-seated hate for the things that you hate inside of us, God. And as a result, man, we can learn to love like you love. So Jesus, we just pray that you'd be upon us. We love you and pray in your name. Amen.